0: Oral questions by members?
1: Member for Kamalus, North, Thompson.
0: Thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, the NDP's out-of-control taxes and record-breaking inflationary deficits are driving the cost of living to unbearable heights and trapping families in their new normal of an NDP middle-class squeeze. With mortgage rates at their highest point in two decades, James Sloan Minshul and his husband are being forced out of their home. Their mortgage payments have increased by 60 per cent, sending them back into the rental market. James says, quote, everything has changed from the grocery habits to the food my dog eats, end quote. And he's going back into a rental market at his highest rents in Canada. When will the Premier stop his out-of-control spending and record-breaking inflationary deficits that are breaking the backs of middle-class families like James and his husband?
1: Minister of Finance.
2: Uh, Thank you Mr. Speaker and I thank the member for the question and and actually there's a bit of good news for the member today. Uh, uh, Inflation in in Canada is down to 3.8% but in BC it's actually down to 3.3% which is good news. we're definitely hoping that the bank of canada won't be raising the interest rates because it, as things continue to go down groceries are going down a bit not as much as they should but the members right middle class families are facing real challenges and we need to do more to help them and we're doing a lot but we need to do more so we're trying to take the pressure off of those middle income families where you know we end, instead of Cutting taxes for people at the top of the the wage range, we are actually reducing costs for people. And we're going to keep doing that to keep helping people, just like the very person that the members mentioned.
1: Campbellus North Thompson, supplemental.
0: Well, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Several economists now are warning that NDP policies are going to directly result in the shrinking of the economy back by a decade and impact people $5,000 per year per person in this province. No amount of empty NDP promises can give James and his family their home back. Instead of helping families, the Premier's NDP government has introduced 29 new or increased taxes since 2017. They've doubled the debt in six years and racked up the largest inflationary deficit in BC's history. James puts it bluntly, and and he quote, It gets too much to be able to afford to eat and pay all of my bills with vehicles, with gas, with mortgage payments." End quote. Like so many others, James is a direct casualty of the NDP's middle class squeeze. So again, how much longer will BC families get squeezed for housing, gas, and groceries under this NDP government?
1: Minister of Finance.
2: Oh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. And, and I do want to point out to remind the member that there is an issue with the global economy, and, and we've been raising to deal with just that. Um, the member raises... Uh, a, cost of uh, insurance for for vehicles. Um, We actually lowered the rate for ICBC costs. For every person in the province, at a certain, you know, for the, the, the base rates. Um, we are building more homes for middle-income people. Um, I, I think it's odd that the, the member opposite doesn't see that the inflation in B.C. is actually good news. It's good news for people in this province. And we're going to continue to provide services to people. Um, one of the taxes that he's mentioned is the speculation tax. And the speculation tax has actually put more housing on the market, more housing ever. I mean, I could go on, Minister Speaker, because uh, there, Mr. Speaker, because there's a number of things that we have done for middle-income people, and I'm looking forward to more questions to be able to address them.
1: Uh, sorry, uh, Campbell-Schnarth Thompson, second supplemental.
0: Well, thank you, Mr. Speaker. It's shocking that uh, th- we have a finance minister that says inflation is good news for people in British Columbia that they should be thankful. Only this government that likes to point fingers at everybody else thinks that inflation is good news. Mr. Speaker, for months after month after month, BC outstripped the national average with inflation. They have one month where they're a little bit below and everyone's supposed to be happy. Mr. Speaker, that is indicative of this government. When can people expect real change from this government to bring down the inflationary costs that they're feeling in their homes on a permanent basis, not a one-month blip on the record?
1: Minister of Finance.
2: Well, I just I need to remind the member that as a provincial government, we do not bring down inflation. That's a federal government, and and uh, but and it's it's a global issue as well. So, but we are doing things members, much more members. than the members opposite ever did when they were in government. But, you know, we brought in the BC Family Benefit, and we boosted it this year permanently. And I wonder if the member opposite is that something that they would cut. We brought in a a childcare program that is putting up to $900 a month back into people's pockets. Is that something that the members' opposite would cut, like they did when they formed government in 2001? Yes. We're supporting families with meals programs in schools right across the province. Is that something that they would cut? Because we know it's helping families. You know, the affordability credit put over thousand dollars back into people's pockets. The hydro credit put a hundred dollars back into people's pockets. You know, you have to ask: Is that something that they would cut? And we are—I mean, they're, they're muttering, Minister er, Speaker, because I think that they they do protest too much. But Thank you, you know. We've capped rental increases below the inflation rate because we recognize that that needs to happen in this province. Is that something else that they would repeal?
3: Member for Prince George, Mackenzie. Thank you, Speaker. The lawsuit and mess in Surrey represents a total failure of leadership by the Premier. And let me emphasize that it's a mess that's been caused by the NDP putting politics before the public good and leaving taxpayers to clean up the mess. We need to restore transparency, respect for taxpayers and local autonomy to the process. The government can start that today by releasing the unredacted report on the Surrey police transition instead of hiding behind 500 pages of redacted policing report. Will the Premier release the report, the full report, today?
1: Minister, you want to sit down and answer? No. You mm-hmm. Minister of Public Safety and Solicitor General. Thank you, uh, Honourable Speaker,
4: and I appreciate the, uh, the question uh, from the member. Um, first, uh, the only uh, issue around the transition uh, has been the delay. Uh, caused by the city of Surrey, they have now gone uh, to court uh, to try and uh, have a review done of the decision that was been made. Uh, legislation has been tabled in the House uh, that will uh, ensure that the decision to proceed with the transition to the Surrey Police service will continue and as for the redacted information that the member talks about, the member knows full well. That that is not provincial information. That is RCMP information, and that that is relates to specific confidential RCMP um, staffing vacancy rates, all of those kinds of things. And it is up to them to decide whether that should be released or not. And the member knows that.
3: So the answer would be no. Prince George Mackenzie, supplemental. Uh, thank you, Speaker. I find it ridiculous that the Premier or for the minister to stand there and with the introduction of the bill to ask the BCU United to bail the NDP out of the mess that they've made. The foundation for this transition was flawed right from the beginning and it's NDP's indecision and politics that got us to where we are here today. It doesn't matter what shoulder patch an officer wears, the premier's soft on crime policies and his catch and release system justice system will continue to fail Surrey residents and the people of BC. We need to restore the trust and the transparency. Will the minister release the full 500 pages of his redacted Surrey policing report today?
4: Mr. Thank you, uh, Honourable Speaker. And If there's one thing that I will not be asking the opposition to do, is to bail the government out because, frankly, there's no need to bail out what is the right decision, which, Honourable Speaker, I would remind that member, three former Solicitor Generals, all from his party, said the decision that I made on behalf in terms of continuing the transition to the Surrey Police Service was the right one. And, Honourable Speaker, as I said and repeat again, that member knows full well that the redacted information is confidential RCMP information, which I am not allowed to release unless they were to say so. And the member knows that. So Honourable Speaker, Surrey is doing its thing. We have legislation in this House. The transition to the Surrey Police Service will continue.
1: Leader of the Third Party.
5: Uh, thank you, honourable speaker. For over a decade, post-secondary institutions in our province have been over-reliant on international students' tuitions. These fees are not protected by the tuition limit policy, which means undergraduate international students pay 426 per cent more than domestic students. We heard from international students who rely on food banks because they can't afford to eat. This government repeatedly stresses the need to recruit and retain international students to contribute to the workforce and the economy. On the one hand, we say we value international students. On the other hand, they are exploited for their tuition, and we hear directly from them that they don't get the supports they need to succeed. Honourable Speaker to the Minister of Post-Secondary Education, BC is becoming known as a jurisdiction that takes advantage of international students. Is this the reputation we want?
1: Minister of Post-Secondary Education.
6: Thank you very much, um, Mr. Speaker, and I want to thank the member for this very important question. Um, We do welcome international students to our province. They're an important part of our educational system. And we do, uh, uh, and I too have heard many of the stories that I know that the member um, is referring to, and it is for that reason that we are putting together an international student framework that we'll be able to um, share in the next number of of months as we're putting it together. Um, But I also want to acknowledge, and I think it's really important, Mr. Speaker, to acknowledge, that we we recognize that the model and the system has not been working as well as it should, and look forward to sharing with the member the framework that we're putting in place.
1: Third-party supplemental.
5: Uh, thank you, Honourable Speaker, and I, I appreciate the recognition response from the Minister and the recognition that the model currently isn't working. In 2022, the Ministry of Post-Secondary Education undertook a sector-wide funding review. The results of this review have still been not released. An updated funding model for post-secondary is absolutely necessary to improve delivery and access to education, and the public has a right to know the findings of this review. Through you, Honourable Speaker, to the Minister of Post Secondary Education, the funding review will provide invaluable, essential information and data. When will it be this report be released to the public?
6: Minister. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. The funding review was undertaken last last year. It was submitted to my ministry late this summer, and I hope to have a, a, um, a, 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 my own review of the report in the next uh, little while, and we'll be happy to share it with the, uh, with the public as soon as I've had a chance to take a look at it.
1: House Leader of the Fourth
7: Party. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, hardworking taxpayers in Surrey made a clear choice in the last election. Surrey voters voted for Mayor Brenda Locke, and they voted to keep the RCMP in Surrey. Mr. Speaker, this NDP government is now taking an extreme authoritarian approach using legislation to undermine the city of Surrey's mandate given to them by voters to keep the RCMP in Surrey. When this NDP Premier hears that his heavy-handed, tone-deaf, authoritarian approach is going to inevitably cost massive property tax increases for everyday, hard-working Surrey's families whose paychecks are already stretched thin by inflation on groceries, by the NDP's punishing carbon tax grab, and by rising mortgage rates, how does it make him feel? Mr. Speaker, the question to this NDP Premier how does it feel to take money out of the pockets of hard-working families in Surrey?
1: Solicitor General.
4: Thank you. Uh, thank you, Honorable Speaker. Uh, the decision on the uh, issue of the police transition in Surrey relates to the issue of public safety. That is first and foremost, Honorable Speaker. Um, that is why we put the $150 million on the table Uh, to deal with the deal with costs associated with the transition. Uh, That $150 million, the number uh, was based on numbers supplied to us by the City of Surrey and verified uh, independently that that was uh, $30 million a year and that's how we came up with the, uh, the $150 million to assist the City of
1: Surrey in the cost of that transition. Fourth-party House Leader Supplemental.
7: Mr. Speaker, in 2023, Surrey will spend approximately $166 million with the RCMP to serve 630 citizens. That works around 263 per person per capita, while Vancouver will spend approximately $401 million to serve 690,000 people, or around 581 per capita. On a per capita basis, Vancouver's police force costs more than twice as much as Surrey's RCMP force. Mr. Speaker, would this NDP Premier please explain to concerned Surrey families who are already stretched thin by inflation on groceries, mm-hmm. on the NDP's punishing tar- carbon tax grab, and by rising mortgage rates why this NDP government believes Every day, hard-working families in Surrey can afford to pay more on property taxes, or better yet, to all taxpayers of British Columbia, why we can afford to pay more to subsidize the mess that this NDP government has created by upending and ignoring the results of the democratic process in municipal elections in Surrey. Why do they think they know better than the
4: citizens of Surrey?
1: Minister General.
4: Thank you, uh, Honourable Speaker. Um, this has been, um, since the very beginning, about the issue of public safety, first and foremost. Not only for Surrey, but for the rest of the province. The decision was made based on the analysis done by the professionals in my ministry, by working with the RCMP, by information supplied by the City of Surrey, on their ability to transition back. Their plan was sound-wanting. Since that time, we have had delay after delay after delay by the city of Surrey. The legislation tabled ends that. The decision I made ends that. What the people of Surrey want is a transition to a police force, that is going to happen. What may be of interest to the uh, the member, uh, because as I said, the $150 million was based on money, uh, based on numbers supplied to us by the city of Surrey on the differential of $30 million a year. Um, is that the third quarter results for the City of Surrey are now out. And they show that the City of Surrey has underspent their police budget, not even spending what they're supposed to have spent on their police budget. And they're projecting a $44 million surplus, Honourable Speaker. What the City of Surrey needs to do is to get on with the transition, stop wasting taxpayers' money on fighting a decision that has been made and is being confirmed
1: in legislation. Official Opposition House Leader.
8: Uh, last night at a meeting of the Public Accounts Committee, uh, the member for Fraser Nicola moved a motion for the committee to request uh, that the Auditor General undertake, uh, and I quote, an examination of the Government of British Columbia's response and subsequent recovery efforts related to the June 30, 2021 wildfire. That devastated the community of Lyddon and immediate surrounding area, with a view to supporting the return to homes and communities." Uh, uh, regrettably at that meeting last night, the NDP majority on that committee said no. They voted the motion down. They said no to accountability and no to transparency for the suffering people of Lyddon. Mr. Speaker, it's been 839 days since the village burned down, and not a single person from the village has moved back home, let alone rebuilt their home or their business. So my question to the Premier is this. Will the Premier disavow the heartless decisions of his NDP colleagues and endorse the motion made by the member from Fraser-Nicola to request that the uh, Auditor-General conduct a full audit into the rebuilding of Lytton? Surely, that's the least that this government can do.
1: Minister of Emergency Management.
9: Thank you, Honourable Speaker, and thank you to the member opposite for the question. The devastation in Lytton has been life-changing for many residents, and I know that the recovery can't happen fast enough for people who just want to get back home as soon as they can. So it's understandable that people have questions about the process. Our focus right now needs to be on working together to drive forward the recovery and rebuilding work. The village is leading that work and we're doing everything we can to support the village so that that work can happen faster. But I also want to emphasize how important the work underway is. The village of Lytton was built on top of a former indigenous village site and burial ground. And the archeological findings so far demonstrate a rich history that's been preserved in a way that is found in few other places in the province. Last night, uh, yesterday, the Ant Mkkapluk Uh, People released a statement yesterday to share more about the story behind the findings, which so far include more than 7,000 artefacts dating back to as much as 7,500 years, as well as multiple ancestral remains.
1: Thank you. Member for Caribou North.
10: Mr. Speaker, people were shocked by a sign in the Caribou Memorial Hospital declaring the ER closed unless a patient was imminently dying. The NDP tried to deny it, but the truth is out. On that very day, my constituent, Ken Schindle, collapsed in Williams Lake, but because he wasn't imminently dying, his wife Myrtle was told that the ER was closed and he would be diverted to Hunter Mile. Ken writes, and I quote, In his words, I was just watching BCTV news, and the minister was saying that there was no closure Monday night at the Williams Lake ER. think the boy should check his facts. Does the Premier believe caribou residents like Ken and Myrtle should accept this dangerous NDP's new normal of closed emergency rooms?
11: Minister of Health. Well, uh, thank you, Honourable Speaker, and uh, there is no accepting of that. In fact, Honorable Speaker, we put in place in September a group of doctors to support emergency rooms across BC. We've made changes through Health Match BC, build a group of uh, nurses who travel to support emergency rooms in BC in specific cases. And that includes in the Caribou, Honorable Speaker, we're supporting uh, emergency rooms through, for example, transformative APP contracts in communities uh, such as Oliver, such as Merritt. Such as Salmon Arm to support communities in BC. So, Honourable Speaker, I, I would say we've discussed the issue of uh, the closure of the Williams Lake Hospital uh, emergency room. There was no closure. I'm, of course, Honourable Speaker, I'm, of course, Honourable Speaker, interested in hearing uh, and hearing uh, concerns raised by constituents, and I'll follow up on this with the Honourable <coughs> Member. But uh, Interior Health has been clear, the Williams Lake, the Caribbean Memorial Hospital has been clear there's no closure. There are significant issues in Williams Lake. It's why I went to Williams Lake to meet with doctors, to meet with nurses, to meet with health care providers, and we're going to continue to work to support these issues. Member Supplemental.
10: Uh, Mr. Speaker, the NDP expects Ken and Myrtle to dismiss their own eyes and buy into this hollow NDP promise, promises contradicted by the signs on the ER declaring they're closed unless you're imminently dying. Ken, having endured this nightmare, warns, and I quote, if the Minister says that the ER wasn't closed, he better check his facts, because Myrtle and I will say the truth, end quote. Why does the Premier expect Ken and Myrtle to trust his government's rhetoric over their first-hand experience with the NDP's new normal of failing health care?
11: Mr. Felt. Honourable Speaker, uh, of course we've checked the facts. And of course, Honourable Speaker, uh, an extraordinary effort, I think, is being made to support, in particular, rural emergency rooms across BC. That means new contract arrangements. That means pools of doctors and nurses supporting communities. That means policies that promote nursing, 40 of them in the Health Human Resources Plan, Honourable Speaker, that have led in part. To a net increase in nurses of 5,221 this year, and this contrasts significantly to the period from 2009 to 2016, 2009 to 16, 2016, when the number of registered nurses in B.C. actually went down. <coughs> speaker, we're going to continue to make these efforts, and of course, I'll follow up with the member's constituent. Mr.
10: So, under the NDP's new normal, you must be on the brink of death. It appears to get help. And even in hospitals, nurses are being told to call 911 for their patients, and it's had fatal consequences for people in my riding. Imagine the devastation felt by my constituent Richard, whose wife, who has now sadly passed away, was bleeding from her nose and mouth while inside a Prince George hospital bed calling for help, and none came, and she was forced to call 911 from her hospital bed inside the hospital. All this, and the health minister calls the crisis just the new normal. So, how can the premier possibly defend this NDP new normal when even patients bleeding and sadly dying in hospital beds are compelled to call 911?
11: Minister of Health. Uh, Honourable Speaker, just because the, minister, the member opposite um, represents something that was completely different, I said that way, it doesn't mean I said it, Honourable Speaker, in the way that he's suggesting. <clears throat> Absolutely not the case. What I have said, and what is true, is that we have in our hospitals today approximately 9,800 on any given day inpatients, people inpatient to the hospital. And this is more than the base bed capacity of the health care system, and 1,000 more than it had been in previous years. So, what have we done? We've added, Honourable Speaker, to the base acute care of the province. We provided a health human resources plan that is adding doctors and nurses and healthcare workers across the system. Honorable Speaker, we are in fact responding. And in Dawson Creek, in Dawson Creek, where I was there to announce the construction of a new hospital, Honorable Speaker, I met with doctors and community members and nurses to address the specific problems in that community, and we'll be doing so in Prince George soon. Member for Surrey South.
12: Thank you, Honorable Speaker. Under the NDP. High spending equals disastrous results. Day after day, we're hearing tragic stories of the NDP's new normal at overrun Surrey Memorial Hospital. Last month, a man in his 40s, in desperate need of mental health services, was escorted off the premises. Just minutes later, he jumped in front of a car and died by suicide. This is a crisis that's traumatizing frontline staff. And yet the NDP ignores our private member's bill amending the Mental Health Act that's designed to save lives. And they're utterly failing to fix our overwhelmed hospitals. So how can the Premier continue to tolerate the NDP's new normal that leads to these kinds of tragedies and traumatizes frontline health care staff?
11: Minister of Health. Honourable Speaker, uh, in June I spent a couple of days at Surrey Memorial Hospital meeting with health care staff meeting with community members. What resulted in that was 30 specific actions that we're taking to respond to it. Three months later, I reported on the progress on every single one of those actions, honorable speaker. In addition to that, of course, we're building a second hospital in Surrey, which the opposition will We are putting new long-term care beds into Surrey, which the opposition opposes, Honourable Speaker. We are, we are, Honourable Speaker, responding specifically to what we heard from health care workers, which means, Honourable Speaker, improve cardiac services, improve renal services, supports in emergency rooms, Honourable Speaker, supports and work with hospitalists to address their contract issues, which were significant at the time. We are going to continue to act on Surrey and lead on Surrey, Honourable Speaker. Prince George Vail Mount.
13: The public deserves answers about why Dr. de Villiers, a man who faced charges of sexual assault and interference against a child, and was subsequently convicted, was paid $350,000 in the 2022 fiscal year. This individual was arrested in June 2021, yet amid horrifying charges. He was inexplicably allowed to return to work and continue to collect his six-figure salary. Even after his arrest, he continued to receive $20,000 in benefits, $24,000 in pension, and $50,000 in vacation pay. No explanation has been given by the NDP government for this outrageous use of public funds. So can the Premier account for this egregious and indefensible use of taxpayer money.
11: Minister of Health. Honourable Speaker, uh, it's our obligation to follow the law. In this case, Dr. Devilliers was found responsible, was found guilty, and he was immediately fired. Member Supplemental.
13: He was charged, arrested, convicted, and sentenced. And all the while, he was getting paid a six-figure salary. He stayed on the payroll of Interior Health. Last February, when we raised this issue, the minister dismissed it then. And now we learn that this individual has, has been paid $325,000 in 22 23 a full year after he was arrested for sexual assault against a child. People struggling in British Columbia watch in disbelief as their hard-earned tax dollars continue to be paid to a child sex offender after he was arrested. So will the Premier take responsibility and provide an explanation for how this possibly could have happened in our province?
11: Minister of Health. Uh, thank you, Honourable Speaker, and um, uh, um, like the Honourable Member, I find um, the actions which have been adjudicated in court and someone found guilty, abhorrent Honorable speaker, and that is why on the day that Dr. Deviliers was found guilty, he was fired.
1: The balance caution period.